You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. This show may contain adult themes and language. This episode also contains brief mentions of violence and sexual assault. If you are sensitive to these topics, please practice self-care and proceed with caution. Listener discretion is advised. The following few paragraphs are from Chapter 2 of Lemming Dancer's fanfiction story titled Forgiveness. Fucked this up somehow, didn't I? Gerald asked. He knew his failure to fend off the Duke had ruined him in Jasker's eyes, but he couldn't understand why the Bard seemed so hurt by it, and he didn't have the strength to examine it any closer. He had to scrape himself together enough to get them home for winter. Yeah? Yeah, you did. Last night's anger was gone from his expressive voice, leaving behind wistful sadness. Listen, Geralt. I know I was supposed to come to Kaer Morin to meet your family, but I don't think that's a good idea anymore, Geralt grunted. He wanted to shut his eyes and hide behind his eyelids, but he'd said enough goodbyes over the decades to know that this would be the last time he saw Jasker. The bard's eyes were mountain blue, still wet with a film of tears. Geralt burned the image into his mind, knowing as he did that it would offer more torment than comfort in the coming months. I'll see you around, I guess, Jasker said. No, I don't think so. Jasker frowned at his flat tone, but didn't argue. Geralt listened to his footsteps fading into the distance until he could no longer discern them from the other traffic on the street. And then, Jasker was gone, taking a piece of Geralt with him. South, east, and west, four corners of the world? Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest? I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Welcome to Episode 2. Our special guest author today is Lemming Dancer. Lemming Dancer has been a member of AO3 since 2014. She has posted a total of 14 fanfictions in the following fandoms. Supernatural, Sherlock Holmes, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, and The Witcher. Lemming Dancer, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Was there anything that you wanted to correct about that bio that I just read off of you? Did I get that right? Uh, no, that's completely correct. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive right in here. So I was hoping that you could tell us about the time that you first discovered fan fiction, if you remember how it felt, and if you remember why you liked it. Yeah, sure. Well, unfortunately, I, I first discovered fan fiction in the context of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> that novel was doing the rounds at the office, and someone said, oh, it's, just, it's a fan fiction of Twilight. And I was like, oh, fan fiction, okay, all right. That doesn't sound great. It was not a not a good intro. But then I got into this little murder mystery period piece Australian drama. And there was only one season of it available. And, you know, 
14 episodes is just, it's not enough episodes. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's like one season, right? It's one season and, and they were quality. It was an excellent show, but it wasn't enough. So I went looking for fan fiction because I knew it existed and I wanted more. So I guess my first impression, at first it felt a little naughty. It felt like I was doing something clandestine. Do you remember why it felt like that? Well, because probably because I had first heard of it in the context of Fifty Shades of Grey. But then I discovered this, this little community around this show that was putting out really quality work that extended the canon. And, you know, as soon as I started making friends among the other authors, it, it became uh, so much more than just a story you read. Were there a lot of fan fictions written for that show, or was it a pretty small community with a few stories? Oh, it was very small. And we all started on fanfiction.net at the time. Oh, the old school fanfiction.net. The old school. <laughs> it was a very small community, for sure, which is why I think, I mean, I don't actually have very many people that in the bigger fandoms I'm a part of now that I would reach out to for, for beta readers, for example. But in that fandom, because it was so small, we all knew each other within weeks, you know? It sounds like you had a really nice introduction to fan fiction after the Fifty Shades of Grey. Once I got past the like stigma of it, it was great. I have always heard from other authors that they like the smaller communities better because there's just a lot of camaraderie, you know, and a lot of back and forth idea exchange, and everybody tends to be really nice. Yeah, I, you know, I, there's advantages to both because... Again, not much content in the smaller community. That's how I got first involved in fan fiction as well. I had a television show on Nickelodeon when I was 14 years old. And the same story, it only had one season. And I thought, that's just not enough. I need more. That's how I discovered fan fiction. So it's so nice that fan fiction gives us that, that we can have more. So when did you first write your first piece of fan fiction? Well, it was not much after I discovered fan fiction because... It was about a year after I discovered fan fiction because, like I said, small community, not a lot of content. And I was reading it and, and you know, you just you start to get the feeling, I could do this. I, I think I could do this. And then when there's not enough content around, there is this incentive to be like, you know, I could share, I could share what I'm thinking, I could share my ideas. So about a year after I discovered, started reading fan fiction, I started writing it in the same little murder mystery fandom <laughs> that had been my, my intro. What was that experience like for you writing your first fan fiction? It was a roller coaster, of course. <laughs> the very first chapter I posted, the very first comment was negative. <laughs> what? I know. <laughs> the very first one, and it was in hindsight, now that I have six years of experience, it, it was something I would argue with now. But it was about an interpretation of a character, no less. So once I got past that first comment, one comment, <laughs> it was wonderful, mostly. I mean, it's always a roller coaster, right? You post and you, and you wait and you, you wait <laughs> for the reaction. And, and it becomes this great interaction between you and the readers. Oh, absolutely it is. I, you know, I'm not a writer myself, so I can't imagine what that must be like for writers and authors because I, I don't do that myself. But I can imagine that putting something out there that's so much a part of you must be scary, you know, when you put it out there for people to read. That's the only word. It's scary. Well, and, and liberating, too, because the, 
the thing that I very quickly discovered about fan fiction and about reading, I suppose, in general, is that if there's something that you're worried about, that you think about, that you obsess over, <laughs> there are people in the world who also worry or obsess over that same thing. So at first it's terrifying and you feel like you're going out on a limb and then you discover that the limb is a lot bigger and there's a lot of you out there. <laughs> Now, I'm curious, was that the first thing that you ever wrote in your whole life? Kind of. I had done some narrative nonfiction for school for my master's. I took a random education class, and it was one of the underpinnings of that class was writing, being able to communicate effectively as a writer, which was really helpful when I started writing fan fiction, actually. But so I'd done a little bit of narrative nonfiction work, but no original fiction. Well, that sounds like that gave you a really nice foundation, though, for being able to jump right in with it. I think so. Now, your most recent stories have been in the Witcher fandom. I've been following you as an author for a long time now. Can you tell us how you became involved in that particular fandom? Yeah, well, like a lot of the folks who are in the fandom now, I think, I saw the show on Netflix, and I thought, you know, this would be better as a video game. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, wait, I play video games, and also it is a video game. So I I told my brother, I think I want to play The Witcher, and my brother's like, I'll bring it with me. So he came out during quarantine. He, he beat the quarantine out here, and then we just played The Witcher for like three months straight. It was very, very, very fun because we make the opposite choice in every single moral dilemma from each other, which was really fun. And then after I had played that many hours of the game and I had seen the show, I was like, well, I might as well read the books. And I've read the first co the first collection of short stories and the, the book after that. I'll admit I'm not as, as in-depth on the books as I am in the game and the show. My whole exposure to The Witcher has been with Netflix exclusively and with the fan fiction that authors are producing. So I didn't even know that it was a video game for a long time. My brother finally broke that news to me and I was like, what? So that's really awesome. Do you find that the Netflix show is true to the games and the novels? I think it's closer to the novels than the games. Which makes sense from what I've heard, the agreement between the game and the novel folks was that there couldn't be a whole lot of overlap in storyline. Obviously, it's the same world, but it's not the same storyline. So it's much closer to the novels in the sense of the stories. It's, it's very, very different from the game. <laughs> yes, with the exception of probably the magical stuff and just the basic world. It's pretty different from the game, yeah. One day, I'll have to try that game out. I'm a terrible gamer. I'll admit it right here on the podcast. I'm terrible, but I'll still try it out because I'm curious about the storyline on the game and how it differs or how much it's the same with the show. Eventually, I'll break out to those novels there. So that's something to look forward to. But I did want to ask you about The Witcher specifically, like why that fandom for you? Like what really drew you into that? I've thought really hard about this question. And I think like a lot of my favorite stories, a lot of our favorite stories collectively, when your hero is the outsider, you're, you've already, you've already got me. <laughs> so the fact that the heroes in our story in The Witcher are the monsters, according to humanity, is really engaging. It doesn't flinch from portraying humanity as the monster. And that's occasionally to my more pessimistic self, that feels very true. <laughs> But also just the volume of canon. There's just so much canon that it's 
fun to write in because I could pick and choose what parts of the characters I like from the show, from the book, from the game. And it's it's pretty hard to to go wrong because there's just such a volume of work out there to pull from. I love that answer and the fact that you point out that, you know, the main characters of The Witcher are outliers, you know, so they're kind of the underdogs of the story. For sure. But that's really neat that the fandom response has been to focus on those underdog characters in such a way that I feel like that really speaks to a lot of us out there, right, who identify with that outlier underdog sort of sentimentality. For sure. So I have to ask, what characters in the Witcher fandom do you relate to the most and why? Well, it's definitely Geralt. Why is harder? (laughs) On first blush, it's because uh, this is going to sound, I'm not sure how this is going to sound, but I think I relate to Geralt because there is this conception of him as, as being less emotive than your average person. And that's actually the part I relate to the most. And I, I, I'm not diagnosed on the autism spectrum or anything like that, but I do feel like people look at me and expect me to be reacting bigger to traumatic things than I am. And so I really relate to that sort of deadpan, yep, this is where we're at. We're just going to move on with it. And it's, it's not that he doesn't have emotions. It's that his reactions to the various things that happened to him seem to be a little off the park. I'm with him on that. (laughs) I can relate to that 100%. I don't know if this is fanon or if this is canon, but in a lot of fan fiction stories that I read in the Witcher fandom, there is a lot said about the fact that Geralt doesn't have emotions or people believe that Geralt doesn't have emotions, but a lot of authors will point out in their works that that's actually not the case, that that's the perception, but he actually does have a lot of emotions. They're always there. He's not the most expressive person. Exactly, exactly. And I think, at least in the video game, he thinks of himself as not being a particularly emotive person. In one scene, describes himself as a little deadened. And then you see his reactions to the various terrible things that happen to him, and you're like, sir, you are, you are, your perception of yourself is not true. But I love, I love stories like that, though. Yes. Because you can see how, perhaps because outsiders' perspective of Geralt has influenced his own internalized version of himself, that he does think of himself that way. Exactly. And that's just, that's juicy for the fan fiction. I will say that that's my, like, holy grail. Geralt not you know, either believing in himself or he's internalized outsider's perspective of who he is instead of being in touch with who he really is. And that's such an interesting aspect to explore. Yeah, for sure. Now, your fan fiction story that we'll be covering today is called Forgiveness, and it does deal with some very serious topics. And you tell it in such a respectful and thoughtful way. I I was very impressed by the way that you presented these occurrences. Now, for someone who's never read your story before, and if they were to ask you about it, how would you describe forgiveness to them? Well, at its most basic, it's it's a story about the aftermath of a sexual assault. That's the premise. What I think it's more about is what the process of recovery looks like and how individual and how uneven that can be. 
I feel like many times in your author's notes, you said you wanted to present a different story of recovery than the ones that we usually see. And I'm not saying that other people's versions of recovery in their stories aren't equally valid, but I really appreciated the realism of your version. Because in my experience, that's the way it was for me. And that meant something. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, that's what I set out to do. Uh, and, it's, and like you say, it's not to say that any of the more rosy outlooks of recovery are wrong. If that's what recovery looks like for someone, I'm glad for them. <laughs> but I feel like it's important to represent the other experiences that are possible as well. That's one of my favorite things about fan fiction is that we can present many different variations of the same story and explore them all kinds of different ways. So I think that's really beautiful that we get to do that. I have talked to different authors over the years, and they all seem to have various approaches to their writing process. Can you tell us what the writing process was for this particular story? So there's this quote that's often attributed to Hemingway that's writing is just sitting down and bleeding. And that was pretty much the experience for this one. A lot of my earlier fics, I had outlines, uh, particularly in a murder mystery fandom, you need to know where everything is, where everything slots together. The process of writing forgiveness was much more organic than that. I just sat down and for every hour of the day that I wasn't working, I was either writing or thinking about writing. And I just sat down at the computer and I bled. When I was finished, it wasn't the final form. I spent about nine days getting it all down. And then I, because it's not a murder mystery, I have the, the liberty of being able to drag and drop stuff into the right place. So then I spent another couple of weeks just moving words around until the flow felt right. And then I try to, I always write the whole fic before I start posting. I did that once where I got into the middle of a fic and, and stalled out for actually five years. I will never do that again. So I wrote the whole thing before I even started posting. And then I just I post daily so that folks don't lose the thread of the story from day to day. And then I spend that last day really polishing it up and making sure it's clean. And so then I post it daily. And then I don't actually write the epilogue until I'm done because I'm kind of guided by how people react. And I, I want the full perspective on the edited piece before I write the epilogue. So then I, I wrote the epilogue a few days after I finished posting the main story. Is that the approach that you take with all of the stories that you write? You just kind of sit down and let the story sort of go where it wants to go, and then you do the editing after that? Or have you ever done outlines for any of your works? I used to do outlines. I, I used to be, you know, they always say you're a planner or a pantser. I used to be a planner. I used to, I used to plan every scene. And then I would take the seed of, of the outline and expand it into a little blurb, and then that blurb expands into an actual chapter. And I would write the whole outline before I started the actual piece. Since I wrote Forgiveness, I've definitely stopped doing that. Forgiveness came together wonderfully, if I do say so myself. Like, the process was, it was so much easier to write, to just let myself sit down and write the part that made sense to me that day. So I wrote the, the scene where, where Geralt's life is in danger. I wrote that one first. I wrote the first chapter last. So. These days, so my last couple of fix have been definitely, I've definitely been just letting it flow. It seems to be, it's a lot more fun to me than the outlining process was. But like I said, when you're writing like a case fix where you have to pull in the, the details to solve a mystery in a certain order, it's, you can't really be quite so flexible with 
writing the first scene last or writing the the second scene first. You know, it's you can't be that flexible when you've got somewhere to go where you really need to lay out details in order. Which approach do you prefer? Do you prefer the outlining method where you know kind of where you're going and where it's going to end? Or do you prefer the spontaneous pantsing method? I prefer pantsing, which is really surprising to me because I am not a pantser in real life. In real life, I, I have so much of a plan for everything. But the last few fics I've written have just been a joy to write and not so much of a slog, which... I feel like when I was writing fix by outlining, it was a slog. You know, I, I was like, today I'm on scene three, and now I must write scene three. But when I'm pantsing, if, if I feel like writing scene five, because that's the scene that's in my head at that moment, I can just do it. And there's just so much more joy in being able to write what's in your head at the moment. Oh, so you're not necessarily writing these scenes in order when you're pantsing. No, I'm all over the place. The pivotal scene where Geralt turns the corner. I wrote that one first, and it stayed the way I wrote it, up to the point I posted it, actually. So, yeah, no, I write them all out of order. Oh, I love that. My analytical brain is like going crazy right now, but I think it's so beautiful to be able to just sit down and imagine that one scene in your head that just wants to be there in the moment and then letting that come out. It's so much better for me as a writer, and I hear you on being analytical. I mean, I'm a computer programmer, and I'm a trained ecologist, so I'm an analytical person. But a lot of fan fiction has been about letting myself just be, and, and when I let myself just be as a writer, forgiveness is what happens, and it's my favorite thing I've ever written. Oh, well, you know, kudos to you and kudos to the pantsing method, because it turned out absolutely beautiful. One of my favorite things, I love that this story is about the healing process. It doesn't focus too much on what actually happened, but it's the aftermath and it's the healing process for Geralt that we really get to focus on, which I love. I found it very interesting to watch the difference in reactions in the people around him. Because, for instance, the very first person that he encounters after it happens is Jasker, and that doesn't end up ending very well for him. And then he goes home, where he can see his Witcher brethren. And I thought it was so interesting to watch the reactions between Eskel and Lambert and also Vesmer. Eskel's first reaction to Geralt's issues when he first returns home seems to be avoidance a little bit, while Lambert's reaction to me seemed very angry at first, and I was so fascinated by that. What do you feel motivated that difference in reactions? Well, one of the things that I was interested in exploring with this fix, in addition to what it probably looks like, was how an act of violence can ripple into your friends and family. So exploring everybody's reactions was something that I was interested in doing. And I did catch a lot of flack for the way I interpreted Jaskier's reaction. I've always seen him as kind of a selfish person, which is maybe not fair. I mean, I like him a lot. He's, he's, a, he's a funny dude, and he brings a lot of life and light into Geralt's life. But I do think of him as slightly a, a kind of selfish person. And so in my interpretation, he definitely didn't react kindly to Geralt because he didn't understand, and he, he is who he is. And then Geralt got home to Eskel and Lambert and Vesemir, and I think that Eskel's reaction was from a, a misplaced place of feeling like he was doing the right thing by not interfering. Yeah, he had convinced himself that Geralt was going to be fine without his help, that all he had to do was just be, be there and be steady, but 
not interact too much, not try too hard, not intervene too much. And if he did, he could make it worse. And I, I do feel like that's, I mean, when we write, every character is ourselves on some level. And I found myself thinking, oh, I'm just not going to say anything because I might say the wrong thing. And I feel like Eskel's reaction came from that place, too, where he cares a lot. And he didn't want to do the wrong thing, so he convinced himself that it would be better if he did nothing. That came through so well that it was coming from a place of caring about Geralt and caring very deeply about what happened to him and being very afraid that anything he did could make it worse or be the wrong thing to say or, you know, etc, etc, etc. While Lambert just wanted to punch things, it seemed like. Well, Lambert's an angry dude. I bet my first and the simplest reaction to why... <laughs> Why uh, Lambert is reacted with anger is because Lambert reacts with anger to everything. <laughs> He's an angry dude, and I can't blame him for that. You know, he didn't have an Eskel. Like, Geralt and Eskel came out of the trials together, and they, they survived their childhood together, and he did not. He didn't have anybody from his cohort survive, so... He's, he's an angry guy all the time. So his first reaction is anger, usually. And then I think beyond that, he has this, he calls Geralt pretty boy. And he has this, he's put Geralt up on a pedestal where he can hate him. You know, like, I can, I can hate you for being this perfect guy. And then to even think that maybe, maybe Geralt's not this perfect guy. Maybe he's dealt with all this, all the trauma that Lambert's dealt with. And to think that he's been... It's easier, I think, for Lambert to be angry at Geralt for being perfect than it is to acknowledge that Geralt's not and, and that he has just as much trauma as Lambert does. Oh, that's so interesting. I never thought of it that way, that Lambert and Eskel could actually be coming at the situation from essentially the same place, but not knowing what to do. And that's just his reaction. I do feel like Lambert's default state is anger. And I, I don't know. It's, it's the way they were raised, you know, Lambert's the definition of toxic masculinity sometimes. But in your fic, I loved how he tries. He did. He came around to it. Yes. Yeah, so you still have that sense that he cares deeply about Geralt and he cares deeply about his relationship with Geralt, wants him to be okay. So even though his initial reaction might be violence, he does eventually come around to approaching the issue in a different, slightly more sensitive way. <laughs> <laughs> he gets there. He does. There is a pivotal moment in the story where Geralt's heart stops beating, and I won't go too much into that. I'll let the readers explore that part of the story on their own. But there's that point where Eskel literally saves Geralt's life using his own heartbeat as a measure. I felt like that moment had such significant symbolism in it. Did you write that part with symbolic significance in mind? I did. I did. Initially, only the very limited symbolic significance of how, how romantic it is. Honestly, my first instinct was that it's just it's just romantic to uh, have two people's hearts beating in time. That's where it started. But in hindsight, well, so I guess not. I guess I wrote it with that symbolism in mind. But in hindsight, it really is nice, isn't it, to think that occasionally when we don't have the strength to beat our hearts ourselves, that there's there might be somebody there whose heartbeat you can follow. I mean, that's very much a, a part of what this fic is, is, is reaching out to people who can help you when, when you can't anymore. So I wish I had thought of that before you asked the question, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I didn't. 
it fits so well because you're right. Sometimes you find yourself in these situations where you do need to reach out to your support network, whether that's your friends, whether that's your family members. And in this sense, it feels like Eskel and Lambert are both his brothers and his friends. And so being able to lean on them figuratively and also literally with his heartbeat, I just thought that was beautiful symbolism. I loved that part. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I was just being romantic. It can be read romantically as well, because in your story, Geralt and Eskel have been involved somewhat romantically for quite some time. Yes, yes. And I'm not sure, that's obviously not supported by canon, but it's just, it's nice to have that mental canon of them being friends together for a long time, of being more than friends together, of them having each other for a long time. Absolutely. I think it's realistic if you think about it. Like you said earlier in the interview, if they survived their trials together and in your story, you do this beautiful thing where Geralt was remembering old memories of them being children and surviving the trials together. And it seems like these old memories of his childhood with Eskel, they have a lot of deep meaning for Geralt because these are the moments that he recalls in his darkest moments. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a little bit like all writing, it's a little bit based on on my own experience that sometimes those those pivotal childhood moments, those friendships you built in were in bad times, do come back when you need them. And they seem to comfort him the moments that he needs them the most. There is this thing in the story that Eskel and Geralt say to each other. Our boys are not very good at verbal communication. So sometimes instead of coming out and saying, I love you, like normal people, they might say something in the story like, I, you, I, you too. And I just had so many emotions about those lines because I feel like they perfectly encapsulate Geralt's awkwardness with that verbal communication, but also his willingness to try. Because instead of saying nothing at all, he does say, I, you too. And he looks Askel in the eye when he does it. So in your story, we get to see that this open communication sparks the beginning of Geralt's recovery process. If you had to pick that one thing or that one person or that one moment in the story that really draws out Geralt's ability to start communicating more openly, what do you think that would be? Well, it's definitely Askel, which makes sense as his oldest friend and someone he's been romantically involved with going back. But specifically, it's after his life has been in, in danger and they're coming out of it the next day and the two of them wake up after this pivotal moment in, in, in Geralt's life and they wake up alive and together. And Geralt's gotten to a place where he's mentally, he's gotten to a place where he believes he can't have any good thing. All of the good things are beyond his reach now. And he, there is no more good in, or light left in his life. And he's looking at Askel and asking if there's ever going to be a time when he can have some of these good things again. And Askel's like, he completely didn't understand that Geralt was wanting, that Geralt was needing him to reach back. And as soon as it clicks for Askel that Geralt has been wanting more all along, and Askel gives him more, more communication, more touching, more love, not that either of them can say it. <laughs> Then Geralt realizes that, you know, maybe all of these things that he thinks are, are so beyond his reach aren't anymore. And I think that might have been the corner that he turned was if he just communicated a little better. 
if he had just let Eskel know where he was, he wouldn't have had to go that long without his friend's help, without his friend reaching out. Because he didn't understand that Eskel wasn't reaching back because he, he thought he was doing the right thing. I think I agree with you there that that was really that turning point when the two of them started communicating just enough to get those miscommunications out of the way. Exactly. I wanted to make more of a comment than a, a question. I was rereading the story in preparation for today's interview, and it really struck me how important Vesemer's character was in this story because I was noticing that Vesemer was really good in this story about challenging people's current perspectives. He challenges Eskel's perspective. When Eskel says, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of doing anything because what if I do the wrong thing? And Vesemer essentially says to him, it would be worse if you did nothing. You might make a mistake, yes, but that's okay. You still should try. And I thought, oh, that's so cool that he's still in that mentor, fatherly figure for these boys. And then later, I thought it was even more beautiful when he and Geralt have that conversation after he wakes up from almost dying out in the snowstorm. And they're having this conversation and Geralt is explaining to Vesmer, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get over this. Like, this is terrible. And I don't think that I'm worth anything. And I loved that part that you wrote where Vesmer is challenging his whole story about what happened and challenging his whole perspective because it does make Geralt stop yep. and think to himself, hmm, am I looking at this the right way? Are there other ways and perspectives and stories that I could be telling about what happened? Yeah. And that was, I thought about this question, when you asked this question, I thought about that moment as being the moment where Carol starts communicating again, because it was so important. It, it did challenge his perspective so much. And I, I thought that perhaps it wouldn't have been enough without Eskel making the connection and reaching past it, you know? I agree, because Vesemer got Geralt thinking. Yep. And, and challenged his way of thinking to start, you know, maybe altering his perspective yeah. on what actually happened to him. But Eskel let him put that into action in a way that Vesemir couldn't. Yeah. And Vesemir, this Vesemir is a bit more game Vesemir than anything. And he was very much like that in the games. He was still a mentor no matter how many years had passed. And, and he was the person that was always challenging Geralt's perspective on something. So it was... That's a manifestation of, of my game time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, I just, I love when canon has characters like that, where they play that role of, but are you looking at this the right way? There's other ways to see things. And I love that. They call them paradigm shifts, right? Where we start thinking about a situation completely differently, and it can completely change your life. So I think that that's beautiful when there's at least one character in there that can play that role. In this case, it was Vesmer, and I was just really pleased to see that he did take that role of challenging everybody's perspectives, and they grow in the story as a result of it. As far as the title goes, it's a very simple title, one word, forgiveness. How do you feel that title for the story relates back to the story itself? Well, titles are hard, but this one was a bit of a no-brainer for me. Forgiveness is the whole point of this story. It's the, the twist. It's the the driving force of the third act. It's a tiny bit aspirational <laughs> because I feel like self-forgiveness is a thing that we all could use a little bit of every now and then could use a little bit extra self-forgiveness. So yeah, forgiveness, 
I don't remember when it occurred to me to name the fake that, but it's it's the whole thing. It's <laughs> I do say so myself. It's a good title. <laughs> I would agree because it works on so many levels. Because Geralt, of course, struggles with forgiving himself for what happened, but he also has to forgive Jasker for his unfortunate reaction to what happened. He has to forgive his brothers for some of their unfortunate reactions to what happened. So there's just a lot of giving people slack in the story, which I think is really beautiful because that's very real. When somebody goes through a hard time, and I, I know we've probably said this earlier in the interview, but sometimes people don't know how to react properly. Yeah. to that and people will make mistakes so you know sometimes we do have to forgive ourselves and we have to forgive others and i thought that that was just so apropos as far as the theme of the story and Daryl could see how easily how easily he forgives others and how easily they forgive him and i think that that models for him how he should be forgiving himself a little bit and it starts him on a really nice healing process sometimes i feel like it's a lot easier to forgive other people Oh, much. Yes. And you end up forgiving yourself last because that's the hardest one. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> totally. A hundred percent. Wrote a whole thing about it. I made a comment on your story and you replied to that, mentioning that you started this project with something to say, which I think is an incredible place to start when you have something to say. What was it that you hoped readers would take away from your story, Forgiveness? Well, a lot of things. <laughs> and it turned what's one of the fun things has been watching how many different things people are taking away from it, which is wonderful. To be completely honest, when I started with it, it was a very simple thing that I hope they took away, which was that love doesn't cure everything. Love is great. Love is wonderful. And it's going to help a lot to reach out to the people that love you and that you love, but it's not some magic panacea. And that sounds pretty, it seems like a pessimistic place to start with, but what really is important about that is people get better anyway. There is no magic panacea. Love doesn't cure everything, but people get better anyway. And that was that's the one thing that I, I hope people took away from it. That's a very hopeful thing for people to take away, I think. It's a little bit of both, right? Because it's, I, I hate to I hate to judge folks who, who write the recovery fix that are like, and then they fell in love and everything is great. And, you know, love is great. But yeah, it, it, there is hope buried in the pessimism there, for sure, that everybody does get better anyway. I mean, it's not an even road. It's, it's There are forwards and backwards every day. Despite the fact that there is no magic bullet, people do get better. What has been your favorite response to this story so far? Oh, well, I have two. So that passage that we were talking about, where Vesemir is, is challenging Geralt's view of himself and his, wor and his world and, and his reaction to this terrible thing that's happened to him has a, a, a pretty long metaphor in it about not having the right weapon for the right fight. And that, yeah, there's no shame in not having the right weapon for the right fight. You just have to keep looking until you find the weapon for the fight that you need. And it's a very Vesemir way of looking at it. But someone commented that that metaphor specifically made them a little less angry at themselves. And that just, if, if that had been the only comment I ever got on that fic, it would have been, it would have made the whole process worthwhile. It was, that's just the best reaction I've ever gotten from someone. It's amazing because that is what that metaphor should do. It should make you feel a little less angry at yourself. Giving yourself permission to not be okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And to not win every fight and to 
you know, the only shame is in, it's not really shame either, but the only shame is in giving up the fight. You just have to keep, keep reaching for the right tool for the job, you know? So that was beautiful. And then someone, this one was sadder, but someone said that they can't cry for themselves, but they can cry for Geralt. And somehow that makes it a little easier to forgive themselves. And I was like, I understand that on deep bone, deep soul, deep level. I understand what you're saying there. And I think that's the joy of fan fiction and literature and books is that they let us let loose for characters we love when we can't, when we can't mourn for ourselves. So that was also a really beautiful response. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love those responses. How wonderful. Yeah, it's been pretty magical, frankly. (laughs) Other than my somewhat nasty interpretation of Jaskier, everybody's been pretty supportive. (laughs) I think he redeemed himself in the end. I feel like this wasn't necessarily a Jasker bashing fic because I feel like Jasker did have an honest reaction to what happened. It was an unfortunate reaction and it was based off of limited information because his perspective was a little off. But in the end of the story, he does redeem himself once he realizes after they communicate, oh my gosh, oh, that's what happened. So the fact that he is able to come back into Geralt's life at that point and offer his own support and love and, you know, that safe space for Geralt to be when he needs it, I thought was really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, he was coming from a place of deep insecurity in my perspective. And we do a lot of bad things when we're coming from that deep insecurity. And yeah, he he was looking through a really skewed lens. And it's not because he's a bad person. It's just because that was the lens he was looking through. It was important to me for everybody to have an arc in his arc brought him around to a place where he was super supportive to all the wolves. So, And the fact that he was able to grow in his insecurity, I thought, because you're right, he does start out in this really insecure place. But then at the end of the story, he doesn't seem to have that same insecurity when it comes to Eskel, which maybe before all this happened, he might have. But the fact that he's able to allow space for Eskel and Geralt and himself without feeling like any of them are taking away from the other, I thought was really beautiful. Thanks. I like it. (laughs) This is more of a question about your general writing process, not necessarily about this particular story, but all of them. What is the most difficult part for you about the writing process? The cheap answer is posting. The daylight burns. (laughs) So putting it out in the world is probably one of the harder parts, but I've gotten better at that. Actually writing, the hardest part is starting. The blank page, having the courage to externalize the idea is the hardest part for me. What advice would you give to the younger writers out there or the more inexperienced writers who are just starting out? There's a, there's a lot of good advice out there, and it's difficult to know what I can add to that body of excellent advice if it doesn't feel like you're bleeding onto the page, you probably haven't got it. It's <laughs> been my experience, and not just for forgiveness, but for every fic I've written. I know I'm in the zone when it feels true, when it feels like I'm really true, when I'm writing something true. And to that end, my, my somewhat unconventional advice is write it down on paper with a pen. I write all of my fics longhand. <laughs> you do? I do which sounds ridiculous because I'm a computer programmer and I type really fast, but I, I write all my fixed longhand. I have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks filled with 
plain white copy paper that I've written these fix on. And I do it that way because it's slower, and so it gives you time to visualize the theme. But most importantly, it keeps me from self-editing myself into oblivion. The backspace key. Because when you're writing it with a pen and paper, it's not like you can go hit that delete button. It's there. It's there. Oh, that's so brilliant. How interesting. It works really good for those of us who have trouble getting past the start. (laughs) I imagine that there are a lot of writers. I'm that way myself. You know, I'm not really a writer, but I play one on TV. And I do. I edit myself out of oblivion because I'll write the first three sentences and be like, nope, nope, delete. Yep. So, oh, that's such good advice. Yeah, it really works for me. And when I'm in the flow, I might switch back to typing occasionally. But when I'm stuck, always when I'm stuck, I switch back to paper and pencil. It's just, it's the only way I know to write until the answer is there without deleting yourself too much. That's such a wonderful advice. I love that. Now, switching gears here just a little bit to general fan fiction questions. I'm not sure that I worded this question as precisely as I would have liked, but how would you answer the existential question, what is fan fiction? Well, there's the obvious answer about how it extends franchise, but I think the more important answer is that it's uh, it's a social network where there's no advertising, the interactions are largely supportive, and it's a sandbox in which to explore how you relate to the world, at least for me. I love that answer. Fan fiction to me has always been so personal, because as I get older, I have more experience under my belt, and I've seen things, I've experienced things, I experience new emotions, and all of these different things. And I find those things very often echoed back to me in a fan fiction, and When that happens, I feel seen. It's just this magical thing where, oh my gosh, I relate to this story so much, which is why I think that's so sweet, that reaction that you got of that individual who said they couldn't cry for themselves, but they could cry for Geralt because sometimes these characters are stand-ins for ourselves and what we go through. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. If you had to pick one thing about fan fiction that you love the most, what would that be? Well, I I think it's what we just talked about to, to some extent. It's a sandbox for me to play in to explore things that I have, things that interest me, things that I am reacting to, things that I'm still processing. So my favorite thing about fan fiction is that it's become a place where I can be myself without judgment and discover who I am. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I had somebody ask me the other day if I was writing one of my Geralt's in one of my earlier fics. They asked me if Geralt was ace, if he was somewhere on the asexual spectrum. And I was like, when I was writing him, I didn't think of him that way. And then I started looking around and I was like, oh, I think I am writing him as a slightly asexual. And it's like, it's been, it's, it's just a wonderful place to find out stuff like that about people and how we relate to each other. There's something very human about fan fiction. To me, there's just something so human about it. And the more I dig into it and the more I see all of these very beautiful variations and perspectives, it's just, it excites me. It's one of those things that I tell my family, I'm going to read this stuff till I die. For sure. And there's no, there's no going back once you've found it. Why do you think fan fiction is worth writing and reading? And I know we've covered different aspects of this. If you had to expound on it just a bit, why do you think that fan fiction is worth writing and reading? Well, the simplest answer is because it's fun. You know, we there's a very depressing Albert Camus 
quote that's like, the literal meaning of life is whatever you're doing that's keeping you from killing yourself, which is a little depressing on the surface of it. But I mean, when you get right down to it, bring joy into your life. And I get a lot of joy out of reading and writing fan fiction. And those of us who find that joy in the fandom life should keep living it. You know, it's fun. If you had to choose your top three AO3 authors that you follow, who would they be and why? This is a little bit bad of me because I've only got two at the moment that I'm following. <laughs> I'm following, as are a lot of people in the witch fandom, the Accidental Warlord AU by Inexplicable Fix. I don't read a lot of AUs, but this is more of a UA, a universe alteration. The premise is that Geralt came home one winter before the keep fell and said, what if we hunted the humans who were monsters too? And they overthrow, I can't remember which king, they overthrow one of the really corrupt bad kings and Geralt ends up leading the North through a series of misadventures where he just couldn't live with the inequality of the world. And it's just, I follow it because it's just nice. She's a good writer, or he, he she or he is a good writer, so it's a pleasure to read, but it, it's also just nice. It's always got a happy ending. There's there's no surprises. It's like a hot cup of hot chocolate. That sounds fascinating. I've never heard of that one, so I'll have to give that one a read. Yeah, it's good. I don't like that. I don't like a lot of AUs, but this one is very much the world of the continent. It's only with one slight change. Oh, wonderful. And then you said you had a second author as well that you follow? Yes, for pretty much the opposite reason. I follow um, Fayette. He or she writes Askel Geralt's stuff among other things, but I mostly follow. I'm kind of in an Eskel Geralt phase at the moment. <laughs> yes, I remember you saying that somewhere, and I thought, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah it's a phase. <laughs> but the fix that Fayette writes are bittersweet. So they're the the opposite end of, of, of the spectrum from an explicit fix. There, She explores, or he or she explores, a lot of the, the bittersweet horror of early days at Kermoran and how Geralt was changed by the trials and how that changed his relationship to the people he knows. And so I, they, they're my good cry, what fix. They're beautifully written, though. So. Oh, those sounds so emotional. They're very emotional. They're the antidote to all the Eskel girls I write wherever he works out. <laughs> but sometimes you just need a really good emotional fic. Yeah. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I think that about concludes all of my questions for today, Lemming Dancer. Did you have any last words for us today? Uh, No, just thank you. It's been a a real pleasure to talk about my work and to talk about one of my favorite things I've ever written. It's been a, a real joy to talk about. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it so much. Everyone check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. Thank you all so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.